Thank you all. I hope your heart is encouraged as mine is to see uh, these young folks up here leading us in, in worship. It's always great to have the Huangs with us. Austin and Caroline, thank you for sharing your gifts with us today as well as our own uh, couple of college students. And that reminds me, um, David Lehman challenged us last week to be praying for our team that is away in Florida, and I neglected to pray for them during our uh, prayer of intercession. So let's do that right now. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the folks, uh, our youth and leaders that are in Florida this morning worshiping there uh, and who are uh, on the cusp of beginning a week of ministry there um, among uh, the folks there at the church. And so, Lord, we ask for your uh, enablement of them. We pray for unity in the group. We pray that the love of Christ would be manifest in their actions and in their words. We pray that the gospel would go forth and uh, that they would bear fruit from their time there. And we pray, Lord, that you use it in their lives as well to strengthen them in their faith, uh, Lord, and to uh, enable them uh, to serve you how you would have them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, and then we'll read um, into chapter 2 a little ways as well. So if you are able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word is true, that it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into our souls and changing us. And so, Father, change us today. Make us more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, uh, we covered a much shorter portion of the chapter, in verses 21 through 23. And we saw there that, in, that Jesus was more than enough for our rebellion. At the conclusion of that teaching... Paul reminded the Colossians of his calling as a minister, or we could say a servant, of the gospel, and that he was speaking to them from a position of authority. Well, this next section that we're going to look at today, Paul 
as he is wont to do, launches off of that final sentence in that section into exploring what it means to be a servant of the gospel and consequently what it means for the church to be involved in gospel enterprise. Paul understood more than anyone that there was a cost associated with proclaiming the cross of Christ. After all, he's writing all about this to them from a prison cell, incarcerated for the very thing that he's instructing them to do. I would dare say that anybody right in their mind, anyway, doesn't like to suffer or struggle. In fact, I would say that it's most likely that we spend a good portion of our lives figuring out ways to avoid suffering and struggles. The things we spend our money on the, or exert energy and effort toward are often those things that will help us cope with the difficulties of life and make things a little easier for us. Of course, there are different kinds of struggles. Some of them are brought on by what the insurance companies call acts of God, storms, fire, flooding, those kinds of things. Other kinds of suffering include the kind that we bring upon ourselves by making poor choices, perhaps poor dietary habits or addictions and things along those lines, foolish actions. Then there's the suffering that is a consequence of just living in a fallen world. Our bodies fail and ultimately we experience, and those we love experience, death. But the kind of struggle Paul is dealing with in this passage is none of those. Rather, it is a struggle which we must choose to engage in. Christian warfare, the advance of the gospel. And this is the puzzle that we find ourselves in, I think. We live in a society that by and large enjoys a fairly easy life compared to the rest of the world. We're constantly inventing things to make life less painful and easier to deal with, all of which I heartily applaud. I'm a big fan of indoor plumbing and air conditioning, especially this time of year. But in light of our cultural mindset, it might seem strange then for us to enter into conflict or struggle voluntarily, to struggle willingly. And yet, this is what Christians are called to do. Our 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, is quoted as saying, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. The Apostle Paul would be in complete agreement with Theodore Roosevelt, at least in terms of how his statement relates to the mission and purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ. Christians are called to struggle to make Christ known in the world. Perhaps too often we look to avoid being uncomfortable, preferring the path of least resistance, but Lord Jesus has called us to this gospel struggle. Paul was able to find purpose and joy in his suffering and labors for Christ's church. And we can too. 
So let's take a minute before we unpack the passage and look at the message for today and do just a little bit of self-evaluation. Where are you right now as a believer in the struggle for Christ and for the gospel? Are you content to retreat from the struggle and live your Christian life in quiet solitude, keeping it as a Sunday morning activity that doesn't require too much of you? Or maybe you're willing to sit on the sidelines and cheer others on in the fight, but you're not sure that you're fully equipped or ready to jump into the fray. Or maybe you are in the trenches, slugging it out, but it's more of a drudgery, and you're just sort of slogging along out of guilt and fear rather than a joy-filled struggle. The question we want to answer from God's Word today is this. Is it worth it? Is the struggle to advance the good news of Jesus Christ worth it? And folks, we may as well go ahead and answer this question now because sooner or later, in a society that is increasingly hostile to God, Christians who affirm the preeminence of Jesus Christ as the only path to God are going to pay a price for holding to that truth. And we must be prepared with our answer before we are faced with the question in the middle of the battle. So, is it worth it? Paul certainly thought it was. So let's look to God's word today for encouragement as we consider the struggle that we are in as God's people and see that Jesus is enough in the struggle. Reading again in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul found purpose in the struggle a purpose to serve the church. And right out of the gate, he exclaims, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul wasn't trudging along in the mission to which he was called. He was rejoicing in it. He was thankful to be counted worthy to share in the struggle with Christ. I don't know about you, but I want some of that. I want desperately to be able to rejoice in suffering for the sake of Christ. Mind you, I didn't say that I wanted to suffer. I said I wanted to be able to rejoice in Christ in the middle of suffering. The next phrase has been the source of much debate in terms of its meaning, where he says that in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Some have said that Paul is stating that his suffering for Christ somehow helps to complete the work of Christ's redemption because there was somehow a deficit in the crucifixion and in Christ's suffering. Well, of course, this flies in the face of the teaching of the whole book of Colossians, not to mention Paul's other writings, such as Romans, in which he says that Christ is preeminent and sufficient in all things in our redemption. And he alone is sufficient for our salvation. We need not add anything to Christ's finished work. 
So this cannot be the intent of the statement. Matthew Henry suggests this explanation. Both the sufferings of the head, Christ, and of the members, the church, are called the sufferings of Christ and make up, as it were, one body of sufferings. But he suffered for the redemption of the church. We suffer on other accounts. For we do not but slightly taste that cup of afflictions of which Christ first drank deeply. A Christian may be said to fill up that which remains of the sufferings of Christ when he takes up his cross. And after the pattern of Christ bears patiently the afflictions God allots to him. As Christians, we're closely identified with Christ as we share in his sufferings. Paul was enduring suffering on behalf of Christ. I mean, Jesus told us that the world would hate us because they hated him. And we could expect suffering for the sake of the gospel. In Romans 8, Paul states, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul found purpose in the struggle. And as he stood side by side, as it were, next to the captain of his soul, waging spiritual warfare against the forces of darkness, he was filled with joy and thankfulness in the middle of the struggle. Not because of the struggle, but because of the one he was fighting alongside, sharing in the sufferings of his Savior. And by doing this, Paul was not only serving the head of the body, Christ, but he was also serving the whole body, Christ and his church. Paul found great purpose in this calling, and he was captivated personally by the good news that he was proclaiming to others. He had experienced forgiveness of sins and redemption as one who was persecuting Christ in the church. Paul knew his sinful condition and understood his desperate need of salvation. Jesus died for Paul, paying the penalty for his sins, just as he has died for all of his people. Those who come to him in faith, trusting in Jesus to save them from their sins, will find salvation in him. And this is the gospel call upon our lives. Before we can answer the call to join the struggle of gospel work, we must first receive the gift of God ourselves. Picking up again in verse 25, maybe about halfway through. Speaking of the church, Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Additionally, Paul found purpose in honoring God with his life in service. God had called him to this office and made him a caretaker over the most precious thing in all of God's creation, the mystery of Christ in us. How could Paul possibly neglect that calling? 
He brought honor to God by responding to the call and advancing the gospel that had been entrusted to him. Thirdly, Paul found purpose in revealing the mystery of the ages to the saints of God, making the word of God fully known. Paul was a man of intentionality. His purpose in this world was to struggle in gospel labor by serving the body of Christ, honoring the God of the universe, and revealing Jesus Christ to the nations. Fulfilling his purpose in Christ gave him the ability then to rejoice with thanksgiving in the, right in the middle of the difficulty and in the middle of the battle. So what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? We see in verses 27 through 29 some of the goals in the mind of the apostle as he reveals the mystery. The first goal is Christ received into the hearts of believers. The false teachers in Colossae were all about mystery. They were all about secretive spiritual knowledge. And so Paul was confronting them with their, own, their very own language on their level, speaking about the mystery that had been hidden for ages, now being revealed. In short, Paul tells them that the mystery is no longer hidden. It isn't a secret knowledge, but fully known. And it is Christ in you the hope of glory. In this statement, he puts to rest their desire to add mystery and <clears throat> secret superior spiritual knowledge to the gospel. He expounds on this a little bit more in the parallel passage in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3. So let's take a look at that real quickly. There Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. To me, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring delight for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The next goal in the struggle for Paul is Christ proclaimed. The message of Christ in me was to be proclaimed to the Gentile nations. Peace with God was no matter an internal national thing with Israel. Peace with God was now a worldwide message of hope and reconciliation. Under the banner of God's Son, Jesus Christ, his kingdom would subdue all the peoples of the world as men and women, boys and girls from every language, every tribe, and every nation were included in God's plan of redemption for the ages. These goals of Christ received and Christ in us are accomplished only through toil and struggle, Paul says. But not in our own strength but by being Christ-empowered. For we struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. The struggle was real for Paul. He suffered, and he toiled for the sake of the gospel. But he didn't have to go it alone. The Spirit of Christ energized him by powerfully working in him. Jesus 
was with him, enabling Paul to persevere every step of the way. And Jesus is with us, ready to enable us to move forward in his power and in his strength. Paul could see the goals. Christ received, Christ proclaimed, and Christ empowered. And that spurred him on because he knew that Jesus was more than enough for the struggle. Paul also found encouragement in the struggle because he knew the results would include personal encouragement for the believers there in Colossae, brotherly love for one another, and a shared maturity in the faith. Looking at chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, skipping ahead a little bit, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thinking about the results of the struggle excited Paul tremendously. God had chosen him to be the apostle through which the plan unfolded. The spark that the Holy Spirit would use to fan a divine flame that would sweep across the globe with the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul could see it. He could see the future results. A church whose hearts were encouraged whose hearts were knit together in love for one another and a shared maturity in reaching all the riches of Christ together. Talk about a guy with a vision. Paul was consumed with it. He knew that it wouldn't stop with him, that the message of the gospel would flourish far beyond his limited lifetime and his limited abilities. And it would flourish through the church. And he poured himself out for this cause, planting churches, training pastors, and lay people alike for gospel ministry, and all the while enduring great suffering. But Paul was able to endure it because he could see the vision for God's kingdom. And he was confident that Jesus was more than enough for it. And this vision this incredible privilege to make known to the world the mystery of God has been handed down to you and to me. Let that sink in a minute. Brothers and sisters, we have a a precious treasure that we hold in these earthen vessels of clay that might shine forth with the surpassing power that belongs to God. We often say that we want to see God at work in our church, in our community. We want to see people come to Christ and lives transformed for his glory. Marriages healed, families restored, brokenness healed. We want to see believers move into spiritual maturity with wisdom and understanding. Do we really want all that? Because it's going to cost us something. And it will be a struggle. Any gospel advance in this dark world 
is going to involve hardship. There will be severe opposition, both within and outside the church. Are we willing, like Paul, to choose to take on the struggle, and not only that, but to rejoice in it? Listen to a couple of other passages that bring together the struggle and joy in gospel activity. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And Jesus, in his own words in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, chapter 5 of Matthew, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul bookends this section of the letter, and we're bookending our worship service this way also today, by speaking of his ability to rejoice in the struggle. And this isn't intended to be some kind of Christian platitude. Unfortunately, I think too often we use it that way when we try to encourage somebody who's going through suffering. Oh, just rejoice in the Lord. But this was a reality for Paul. This was how he lived. So how do we catch on to that? How do we get a hold of what Paul had, being able to rejoice in the struggle of gospel advancement? Well, it starts with having a clear understanding of our purpose in this world. And this is where I'm afraid that we derail too often Paul wasn't distracted by other smaller, petty things. He had a very clear understanding of his purpose, to serve the church, to honor God, and to reveal the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory, to everyone he came in contact with. Can we say the same? That this is our purpose in the world. This is what brought joy to Paul when the going got tough. Additionally, he set his sights on some pretty lofty goals, that Christ would be received into the hearts of people as the mystery was revealed. He expected to see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He expected that Christ would be proclaimed. He expected that Christ would empower him to do all of this with power and strength. What are our expectations in the work of the gospel that we've been called to? Do we expect God to work in and through us individually and as a church? Or do we adopt a defeatist attitude that somehow those days are behind us? Do we expect God to empower us with his spirit to do the work of the gospel? If we serve an all-powerful God who has promised to enable us with his energy powerfully working in us, then maybe we should expect him 
to work through us as we proclaim the gospel. So let's be challenged to expect God to do great things among us, and let's pray in faith to that end. Finally, Paul could see the results. He possessed a vision for what God was going to do. A vision for the encouragement of the members of this church. A vision for their hearts to be restored to one another in love and in unity and not in division. A vision that the church members would strive together to reach maturity in Christ with all the riches of full assurance of wisdom and knowledge of God. What kind of vision do you have for St. Andrew's? for your fellow brothers and sisters here. Can you see God working so as to bring about encouragement as we strive in the work that's before us? Can you see your heart being tightly woven in love with the hearts of your brothers and sisters in this room? Can you see a church which increases in spiritual maturity, in unity, even as we proclaim the good news to all of those around us? Let me share just a couple of practical ways in which we can increase our faith and vision in this as we join together in the struggle. First, as we saw in the opening verses of this chapter a few weeks ago, verses 9 through 14, pray for it. Look back on Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 14. And let me encourage you again, as I did then, make it your daily prayer for you and for our church. Use it as a framework and expand out from it as you pray according to God's will. And ask the Lord to burden your heart for the disenfranchised, the lost, the hurting. Also, support the work that is already going on here. Give of your time and resources. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're giving to the work of ministry here at St. Andrews, and if you're giving to the work of missions through faith mission giving, then it's much more likely that your heart is going to be where your treasure is. And that God will expand your gifting and your desire to join in the struggle of proclaiming the gospel with joy. And find a place to serve with the gifts that God has given you. As you serve alongside your brothers and sisters in the work of the ministry and begin to see the gospel need that exists in our community and around the world, the Spirit of God will melt your heart and your heart will become one with him for the lost. No wonder Paul could live a life of rejoicing, even in the middle of the struggle. He had purpose. He had goals. He had vision in serving the Savior and his bride, the church. And so do we, as those who carry on the responsibility of revealing the mystery of Christ in us. We began the message by asking, is it worth it? Is fruitful gospel ministry worth the struggle? Yes. Yes, it is absolutely worth it. 
And Jesus is more than enough in the struggle. May the Lord enable us to take up this mantle that Paul had, this struggle in this place for this generation, remaining faithful to the call until he comes or until we go to him. Rejoice and give thanks in the struggle, brothers and sisters, and lift high the cross of Christ our King. Let's pray. Oh God, what a glorious calling is ours. Would you work in our hearts that we might see that and that we might, like Paul, become passionate about it and driven by it? That we would desire to see folks come to you, that your church would be victorious and triumphant. So Lord, help us in this. Change our minds, change our hearts. Make us more like Jesus in this and more like the Apostle Paul. Give us a vision, give us a purpose, give us goals to reach out in faith, to be empowered by you for the calling that you've placed before us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.